Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine, and thank you for listening to The Captain's Collective, brought to you by Skinny Water Culture, Hell's Bay Boatworks, and Orvis Fly Fishing. In today's episode, we sit down with Alicia Downs, Communications Director for Captains for Clean Water, and discuss her upbringing in Florida, where she fell in love with the outdoors, chasing mahi-mahi with her dad. We also discuss the significance of storytelling, social media, and the importance of personal responsibility. Unlike many of my guests, Alicia is not a captain, and in this interview, I really enjoy getting to hear her perspective on things, and it's obvious that she's passionate and cares deeply about making a difference and impacting others. I hope that you enjoy. This is the Captain's Collective. I'll say it's anything you choose, I think it picks you. You know, it's genetic. Let everything else stop in the world and just be quiet. And it's amazing where your mind goes at that point um, and where it doesn't go. And sometimes just that quiet space is, is what we need, and especially in this day and age. You have a fly rod in your hand. It's this tool that takes you to beautiful places. You meet hopefully wonderful people. And it's just this cherry on top of this outdoor adventure. When the fish is coming, that shot within a shot, that timer starts. No one else knew anything anyway, and you're just might definitely making it up if you're going along. But so what Grandpa and Dad would tell me is like, all right, where's the old big trout laying out there? Where's his shaving cream on the water? Where's he been shaving this morning? That's look for his shaving cream on the water, and that's where he's gonna be. Thanks, Alicia, for coming on the podcast. I'm excited to sit down and to talk with you today. One of the things that I've enjoyed with doing the Captain's Collective is that as I travel around and interview different people, uh, some of them are people that I've known for a long time or I've watched their shows, and then some of them are people that are new and people that I meet through different organizations or different groups of captains. And throughout the past year of doing some projects and, and working and getting to know some of the guys at Captains for Clean Water, I've got to know you. And I'm really excited just to have an opportunity to sit down today and capture some of your story and some of what you do in the fishing community. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for having me, Hunter. I'm really excited to get the opportunity to, to sit down with you. Yeah. Could you just start by giving us a background about how you got into the outdoors and how you got to where you are today with Captains for Clean Water? Sure. So uh, full disclaimer, I'm not a captain by any means, but I have been in the outdoors my entire life. Um, I'm a fifth generation Floridian who was raised in Arcadia, which is a small town in southwest Florida. Uh, my parents bought a little bit of land there when I was just a young kid. And so we grew up, um, you know, camping and riding four wheelers and hunting and fishing and we were situated right on this little creek called Horse Creek, which is one of the tributaries to the Peace River, which is part of the Charlotte Harbor estuary. So it was a really diverse place to get to grow up. And just I feel very fortunate to have had wide open spaces to kind of, you know, go through those hellion days and, and just have, um, you know, the freedom to experience the outdoors. And so uh, actually, my, my mom is from Key Largo originally, and my dad is from a small town called Wachula. He grew up in Zolfo. Zolfo Springs, and um, they met down in the Keys. My dad is, has been a lineman my whole life, and he was building the wooden power lines that run from Homestead to Key West. And so he met my mom when he was on that job and kind of fell in love with the Keys. And, um, you know, right around the time that we ended up moving to Arcadia, 
we, we would go fishing down in the Keys every summer growing up. And so that's really what set my love for fishing in motion was being able to go offshore and uh, troll for mahi and, and just the entire experience. I mean, uh, he, he fell in love with it and that was very obvious and we got hooked, you know, just I'm so grateful that he was able to share that passion with us. Um, and so I, I have memories as a young kid. We had cousins that lived down in the Keys and they, um, you know, we, we'd have cousins that would travel down and we'd just spend the summers just, you know, kids upon kids. And we would go out on the boat to go offshore fishing. And I have these memories of, um, you know, my dad had this 25 foot, I think it was a bay liner at first. And then he had a century later, but he would just blare Aerosmith, uh, the song Walk This Way, as we'd be going out of the canals in the morning and the sun coming up. And, you know, just as kids, we thought we were the coolest thing in the world. And then we're running offshore till you couldn't see land anymore. And, you know, we're out there. Trolling can get a little tiresome after a while. But as soon as we would hit a school of dolphin and, you know, the action would just turn on and we would all be, you know, all hands on deck, reeling in fish left and right. And it was just mass chaos. And, you know, we're out there and we see that these tankers going by and it's just, you know, what kid gets to experience that where you're out in this, you know, the wild and you see these sites that are just unbelievable as a child. And, um, you know, then we would come home and, you know, everyone who didn't fish that day would be so excited to come down to the, to the dock and see what we caught. And my dad had these two mahi recipes that he would cook every time we would bring in a catch. And it was a beer battered fried mahi. And then he did this baked version that had like Parmesan cheese and mayonnaise and chives. Um, it would get real crispy on top. And just I think that whole experience to see it full circle and be like, wow, like this is this is the good life, you know. And so that's really what started my my love for fishing as a kid. And I'm I'm very fortunate that we had the chance to do that. So yeah. And then I know that you got involved in the marketing world and at some point worked with Harley Davidson. Could you talk about how you kind of got into marketing and then how you went from marketing for a motorcycle company to helping with the message and the story of Captains for Clean Water? Yes, absolutely. So um, I always had this um, kind of knack for storytelling in a way, which I, I didn't know that's what it was as a kid. But I, you know, I would create scrapbooks and when I got a little older, I would create slideshows for my family, you know, photo using photos and music. And I just I, I grew to have this obsession with creating a story and being able to take people through a story and, and see their reaction to that. Um, you know, I would for my parents anniversary or for my brother's birthday and even for funerals and just seeing people's reaction. And I got to college and. I took um, an intro to advertising class and we had to create ads. It was super cheesy. I, I created this version of an energy drink, but I was just like, wow, this is so creative. And you just had the, this freedom and, you know, there was no numbers involved really for the most part. And I just fell in love with this idea of marketing. So I went to school, got a marketing degree right out of college. I got an internship at a marketing agency in Fort Myers. Um, so I worked there for several several years, and it was a very unique place to work in that we we evolved to a company that was focused solely on enthusiast-driven brands, being the number one was Harley-Davidson Motor Company in Milwaukee. It was an interesting experience. You know, I, I learned not only about business, I got to learn about when you approach, you know, marketing, for example, it's not just about selling a, a product. I got to learn about 
you know, you should have a goal and what are the tactics that you're going to use to achieve that and how are you measuring your efforts and, you know, what does that look like to drive your your efforts next time? And so I was very fortunate to be able to do that, but, you know, my heart wasn't in motorcycles and I did get to travel. I got to go to the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally, um, the 75th anniversary actually, out in South Dakota, which was insane for a Florida native, you know. I'm out there with all of these, you know, thousands upon thousands of bikers and I'm just like in awe of of the mountains around me and so it was a cool experience but after being there for about 7 years I was I was getting kind of burnt out because the work that we were doing was very cyclical it was you know we're creating these campaigns that are used every quarter in a Harley Davidson dealership and it's thrown away basically and so you're putting your heart and soul into something that you know, basically is getting thrown away and there was just no longevity in it. And I just started, you know, I, I, I got burnt out and I was like, what am I doing with my life? Where am I going to go with this? And, and so I'd always loved, you know, my passion's always been the outdoors, but I did get away from it from that time. Cause I thought, you know, this is the path that you're supposed to take in life is you get a job and you move on. And so, um, Long story short, I went to, I, I'd actually gone to a personal growth conference and I walked away from it like, you know, with this new mission to kind of figure out what I'm meant to do in my life. And funny enough, it took me full circle to, well, here's all the things you love to do. That's what you need to be doing. And so um, I actually, I had something lined up that allowed me to leave that job at the marketing agency. And on the side, I started doing freelance writing. Hmm. And so the freelance writing... <laughs> kind of a tough gig but um during those couple of months I was I was writing about things that I was passionate about and it was basically you know I started a blog it was really just a creative exercise for me to to write about outdoor experiences and just kind of learn my voice I you know during the time at the marketing agency I it was kind of the first time I realized what my skill sets were I'd always been you know versed in language arts and and that type of thing but I I learned that I was actually re really good at writing um, and I was I was, you know, received that acknowledgement in multiple ways. And so I was like, well, what would happen if I try to apply this to the things that I'm passionate about, passionate about and not selling motorcycles? And so that was kind of the exercise of the blog. And that became a catalyst for me to just explore, you know, what I like to write about. And so during that time, I, I Captains for Clean Water had been around. This was, I think, maybe a year um, as I was doing the freelance, Captains had been around for about a year. And I was friends with Chris Whitman, um, even before Captains for Clean Water. And so I had known about them since the beginning. And I, my husband and I, now husband at the time we were dating, but we were fishing out of Pine Island Sound area, um, living in Fort Myers. And we had noticed, before we even knew about you know Captains for Clean Water, we had noticed that there was a change in the area. Um, the fishing was different all of a sudden and, you know, we'd see some dead fish here and there, but it, it was really something that was like, wow, this is different than what it, it has been. And so it led me to start looking into what's going on. And that's when I found out about Captains for Clean Water. And so I was a supporter from day one and I went to the very first fundraiser they had at a local brewery here. And I, I, I remember thinking, I've been, a, you know, I'm a fifth generation Floridian and I'm probably one of the most passionate people about the state of Florida that I know. Like I'm obsessed with old Florida history. I read old, you know, Florida books and 
I had never before known that this was even an issue, that the, the water crisis that Florida's facing, I'd never known anything about it. I was completely uninvolved in fighting for water quality or the envir environment or any of that. And it's like, and I was the one that was raised up in these places and that the path of my life has been directed by these places. And shame on me for just now at, at the time I was, I don't know, 28 or 29 years old for just now finding out that we have this threat to our state, the state that I have, you know, come up from. And so I got involved with them, you know, just as a supporter with Captains for Clean Water for for quite a while. And then, you know, during my little freelance gig, I, I did some writing on my blog about them. And eventually um, everything just aligned. And they, they said, you know, we really need communications is just the most important thing that we do. And obviously you're very passionate about this. Would you want to come on board? And so... Um, the rest is history. And mm. today I'm com communications director for Captains for Clean Water. And I, I feel like it was really, um, it was full circle for me. It was, you know, the passions of my life coming together where, you know, I'm able to use my skill set in communications and writing and, and kind of telling a story and taking people through an experience. And I'm able to use it not to sell something, but to fight for something that I love and to kind of help people come into that fold. And so it's been very satisfying and just very fulfilling for me. And, and it makes the work and the effort that you put into it, it now has that worthwhile feeling because I feel like I'm doing something that that's, you know, going to benefit people, a lot of people for many years. And so, mm -hmm. um, I'm grateful that, I, that the experience or that the opportunity came to me. So, yeah. And that was, you kind of touched on it where, with learning and marketing on storytelling that was one of the things I wanted to talk about because I feel like the the companies, the products, the people that I feel the most connection with or the closest to are the ones that can really tell a really great story. What well, what does it take to tell a great story, whether it's from a marketing standpoint or whether it's just in general someone who's wanting to write or wanting to uh, verbally share a story with others? What are the components of that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, First, I think with marketing, I think that the term marketing just really skeeves a lot of people out, you know, especially if it's not something that you had a career in or, you know, we think of it as, you know, we're trying to sell people and it's just like an icky thing. And so, um, you know, social media, a lot of people just look at it as it's a, a necessity that is just a drag. And I think it's actually a really exciting tool that it's an exciting and effective marketing tool that if you use it correctly and don't let it use you, that's the key is we all fall into that trap where we let social media media use us and it kind of, you know, gives us that negative taste. But if you're using it in a strategic way, if you own any kind of business or you're in an industry where you're having to sell a product or, um, you know, recruit clients or grow a community, you should absolutely be doing marketing. Everybody needs marketing. And so I think that with storytelling, that's, that is marketing. And if you look at it that way, it can be really exciting and it becomes fun because you're not having to be someone you're not, and you shouldn't, you should be authentic. And, and if you're using kind of like the basic principles, like you have to go in. So I'm just going to use like social media as an example if you're going into it and you're just posting a bunch of random stuff and you're inconsistent, um, 
you're, you're going to have really inconsistent and random results, you know? Mm. If you're going into it with a plan and a purpose and you you know who you are and you have to know what what business you're really in, you know? Like, let's take a fishing guide, for example. Um, if you're, no matter what business you're in, you're really selling a lifestyle, an experience, or a feeling. Mm. If you're a fishing guide, it's not just, hey, I'm, I'm promoting that you can catch this type of fish. You are selling an adventure. You're selling an experience, something that somebody will hopefully have memories that they carry with them through the rest of their life. And so when it comes to like social media, those are the things that you need to be showcasing that if you're trying your whole, I mean, unless you're an established guide who doesn't need to recruit any more clients, you should be posting things that are, are showcasing that experience. Um, and that's, what's going to draw people to you. And then, you know, a lot of people post, you know, just random stuff without really like narrowing in on what is, what is your specialty? What is your niche? Just sticking with the guide topic. There's a lot of people that you think of their name and they're well known for a certain type of fishing or a certain style or, or for something, you know, I've heard, I've listened to your podcast for a long time and you know, I listened to the Dave Mangum episode the other day. It's like, what is he known for? He's known for tarpon. You know, he knows it better than anybody. And I think that especially for new guides, if you figure out what is it that you're going to be known for and own it you and figure it out, maybe you don't know, but if you know what you're going to be owned for, known for and you own it, then you're kind of branding yourself as that guy or that girl. Mm-hmm. And, and then you the content that you put out needs to support that story. And so you're going to attract people to you that are interested in that versus if you're, you try to be good at everything and you're, you're like, well, I can do this and I can do that and I can do 10 different things. You're going to have 10 different kinds of people at maybe like a really wishy-washy level that versus if you're just really strong on one thing, you're going to attract the people that are dedicated and really into that, that are more willing to follow along and more willing to engage with you. And they're, you know, the loyalist type of people. And so I think if you can be very specific about who you are and what your one thing is, that will help drive that, you know, that theme mm. of storytelling through through whatever content that you're putting out. And then I would say being authentic is extremely important. Um, there's, it's social media is such a, you know, you're, you do get sucked into looking at what other people are doing and, um, how other people say it. And, and of course there's the people that you look up to and admire and you take cues from that. And I think it's great to take inspiration from different places, but we all have our own story that nobody else has. We all have our own, you know, experiences and our own perspectives and just, you know, you could be, there could be 10, I mean, where I live, I live in Punta Gorda now on Charlotte Harbor. I mean, tarpon fishing is one of the biggest things around here. And you can have 10 different tarpon guides, but it's the person that is the brand, you know, and you might be known for being a certain way or having a certain uh, characteristic or behavior that that those clients go to you because you're that way, you know. And so you can still have a uniqueness to you, even if you're doing or even if you're known for the same thing as someone else. You just have to you have to spend the Mm -hmm. time doing the work to find out what that is about you and and you know use that as as your part of your to guide your storytelling mm-hmm. and so i think that um yeah that's those are some of the things that i think you know i see 
that would be super helpful if people just did those simple things. And it's not, it doesn't have to be overcomplicated and it doesn't have to be scary stuff. It's just knowing who you are, owning it and providing interesting and compelling content that supports that, you know, don't, don't just post the pictures mm -hmm. of a meat hall. I mean, that's not inspiring if you're trying to, or at least it's not to me, maybe there's people that is, but it's like the fish are dead. They've lost their color. They look smaller on the dock. You know, it's people want to, yeah. people want to see you fighting that fish and the tarpon, you know, free jumping in the air and, you know, having some cold beers afterwards. It's, that's the kind of thing that I think is really, mm -hmm. really valuable. So. Yeah. And, and as you know, I think that a lot of people have a hard time navigating the tension of social media and marketing and websites because a lot of people, they just, they want to get out and they just want to fish and they, they want to be focused on that. But I, I definitely agree with what you're saying that um, pretty much everybody that I have talked to, they, they acknowledge that some form of marketing or advertising is necessary pretty much for 99% of the guides. And so the question just becomes, how, how do they do it well without, you know, selling out or hurting their fisheries, which is another thing I know yeah. that, 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 you know, if you're every single day, you feel like you need to, you know, post about what species are in and all the, I guess, controversy that can come around that. I mean, how do you feel like you mentioned, you know, trying to post things other than just grab and grin photos mm -hmm. of people with fish? What, what are some good things that people can post to try to um, build their businesses or just to try to promote the, the outdoor industry in general outside of that? Yeah, I think, you know, for just outdoorsmen in general, I mean, it's not most of us have, you know, many interests. It's not just about that we're out fishing every single day. Um, and I think that there's a lot more to the lifestyle. Like if you are, you know, somebody that hunts or fishes and maybe you harvest and cook your own food or, you know, we, we all have this lifestyle that goes along with being somebody who loves the outdoors. And I think that the more um, behind the scenes that you can that you can give about yourself and just I think that's very intriguing to people. Um, it's not just always about that you caught a fish today. Uh, you know, it's what what was something else good that happened that day? And people want to see, you know, I think that when you just post very generic content that people feel that and it's it's kind of a turnoff almost. But when you let people in a little bit and and, you know, give a little behind the scenes about maybe maybe you are a guide that just posts pictures of fishing. Well, have you ever given your followers insight to what's going on in your life? Um, you know, that might maybe they don't know that you have kids and, you know, seeing that, that, that might make more people connect to you. Or for example, my, my husband's a, a part-time fishing guide. He's also a firefighter paramedic. And so, um, that side of it, you know, people see that and they're like, Oh, he's a, you know, he gets a lot of clientele that are in, that are first responders because they relate to him because, you know, mm -hmm. because he shows that side of him. And so I think that just being personable and, you know, show, like there's more to the story than just catching, catching fish. And I know it is a grind. It's, it is a struggle as somebody who understands, you know, how time consuming it is to come up with content. You know, you have to have a great photo. You have to write the words. You have to, you know, make it look good. And it is, it is work. Um, but I think depending on where you are with your business or with your, with your life, I mean, there's some people that 
probably need to do more marketing than others. If you're just starting out and you're new in the space and you don't have mm -hmm. an established clientele, I think you need to put the legwork in a little more than somebody who's already got a booked up calendar. Um, they don't need to market as much because they, they have the same clients year after year. Um, so I think that if you put the work in and, you know, I mean, word of mouth is super valuable, but I think for somebody who's up and coming that it is so critical to have a presence on social media. And yes, there's other marketing, foundational marketing things that you, you should probably be doing. But I would say that right now our gener our generation is completely turned off by like traditional advertising mm. type stuff like that. The old school stuff just doesn't work. Like we don't want to be, yeah. we don't want to be sold. We don't want you to say, you know, give us these cheesy discounts and we don't want you to use that kind of language. We want you to be real. And I mean, that's why influencer marketing became such a popular thing because you're looking at people that are just out living the life and doing this thing and they're not the man selling you something, you know? And so mm -hmm. the lifestyle sells and seeing people doing, doing that sells. And so, um, I hope that answered your question. <laughs> no, no, it did. And you know, it's funny because, uh, yesterday I had stopped by my parents' house and, uh, one of my daughters was over there and, my dad was watching, you know, outdoor television and there was a hunting show on and I don't even know what the hunting show was called, but it was just over the top saturated yes. with ads yes. and there was no, you know, thinking about storytelling, there was no story at all. It was just, it was honestly cringy for me to watch because it was just like the, the care about just trying to actually showcase the hunt and showcase the beauty of the land and the animal and all of that was just totally lost in just every single product had mm -hmm. to be, you know, put in shots. And it, it kind of ties full circle to what you're saying too, is, is that, you know, the cheesy kind of over the top old school marketing is not, is the opposite of storytelling. You know, it's just product showcasing. Mm -hmm. And, um, a lot of the guides that I have interviewed in the past, I think about like JT Van Zandt, Benny, you know, Benny Blanco and some of the other ones who are involved in either podcast or television, um, you know, they actually have a, a, a story that they want to tell or mm -hmm. they have a, a mission, you know, something that they're trying to make happen. Um, could you speak to on, you know, how people can do a better job, maybe um, just showcasing what their passion is or what their mission is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think that with especially in the outdoor industry that there comes no matter what part of it you're in, there comes a great responsibility with, with being, even if you aren't in the conservation space, um, you're putting out content that is showcasing the way you as a person interact with the outdoors. And I think that that is a great responsibility for us because like you're saying, you see these people that are out there that are just doing it for, um, you know, a, a, pro staff or just putting out brands mm. and it's it's you know without going down the road of the really really negative stuff um mm -hmm. you you're setting an example for people who aren't necessarily you know maybe they were considering getting involved and and you're, they're seeing your stuff for the first time and it's like you need to be very mm -hmm. mindful of how you're engaging with wildlife and and the thing the things that you're showing and just i mean for those of us that are in the outdoors, it's like, yeah, we know we mm -hmm. care about it, but this is 
a chance to get other people to care about it. And we just need to be responsible stewards and be mindful of the, the content that we're putting out. And, um, you know, I commend Benny and, you know, Benny's a good friend of mine and just the people that have this mission and are using their platform to do good for the environment that has given them so much. And, Mm -hmm. um, that's, I feel like I'm able to do a little bit of that through captains. And it's like, this place has given me so many beautiful memories and beautiful things in my life. And just the fact that I get to do something and hopefully educate some people on, Hey, this is what's happening. I've, I've been here for many years and I had no idea. Maybe you didn't know. And guess what? Here's what it is. Um, and let's fight for it together. And I just think, yeah, just using this platform as uh, to do some good and, and protect the places that have given us so much is so important. And So, yeah, I commend the people that are out there doing that. And a lot of these guys, like you said, that have TV shows are starting to do it for a greater purpose than just teaching people, you know, how to do this in the outdoors. Mm -hmm. It's it is carrying a a bigger message. And I think that that's the way that things are going in the industry. Um, It's kind of hard to have a show or have a platform without addressing that it's important to be a steward and to take care of these things because um, mm-hmm. there's more and more people getting involved in this sport every single day. And we're the ones that are so deeply rooted in it need to be the ones that are leading, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the example and showing people how to do it right and treat it with respect. And so um, big props to those guys. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, if it's cool with you, I'd love to just move into rapid fire questions and try to kind of cover a, a variety of different things. Sure. So, uh, one of the things, um, when I've talked to just, just different people trying to prepare for this podcast, you're known for being highly creative and having a good work ethic and you're relatively new in the industry. And that was even something when you and I were talking originally about this podcast, you know, you had a lot of humility and you were like, look, you know, I'm, I'm still at the very beginning of my career in a lot of ways. Um, but at the same time with this podcast, I really enjoy talking to people at all different life phases and from different angles, whether that be a captain or another industry leader, somebody who's involved in, in, in the outdoor community. I would love for you just to share what have been some of the helpful things for you as you've developed in your career in the early stages, because you have a great reputation amongst those who I've talked to you. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, that's been a, a big struggle. I mean, I'm a fairly young individual. And I'm just like, you know, to be, you're in that weird spot where you're past the partying, you're past the, you know, kind of drifting through life and you're in, you're not quite to where you've earned, um, you know, that level of notoriety or respect. And so you're kind of in the middle where you're putting in the work and living that weird phase, you know, and I, I struggle because I, I do have that feeling of, you know, I have skills and I'm capable of doing so much good. And, um, you know, I have that struggle where I'm like, I'm not, you know, I'm not athletically gifted, for example, like my skill set revolves around words and creativity. And, and it's like, you know, you really want to be great. Who doesn't want to be great at something? And so I've, I've struggled with that a lot, but my, my dad, I mean, both of my parents instilled in me hard work, but my dad, like I said, was a lineman for, I mean, he's still in the power line industry today. And his thing that he instilled in us was just hard work. I mean, he, that's what he came from. He, of course, used to tell us stories about, you know, I've been working since I was three years old, you know, stacking sod, you know, um, 
working in the watermelon fields and he worked through high school and he was the captain of the football team. And immediately out of high school, he went to work at 18 years old at being somebody who had worked his entire life. And he said, you know, he found he somehow stumbled into line work at like 18 or 19. And it's something that's very, very hard, especially in the state of Florida. There's a lot of travel. It's very hot. It's very labor intensive. And a lot of young people don't survive, uh, survive, not, you know, uh, you know, stick with it because it is so hard. Mm -hmm. And he, he got into it and he was like, wait a second, you're going to pay me how much to do what? He's like, this is cake. Like I've grown up working and sweating. And, and so that was always his message to us was, you know, for him, he's like, you're going to be the hardest worker in the room. He's like, Mm -hmm. he's the first to the job site. He's the last to leave. And, um, you know, that was just, he always wanted to give us the life that he didn't have. And so from a very Mm -hmm. young age, he instilled that hard work ethic in us. And so I really, I mean, the way that I approach what I do is very head down, um, do the work. You know, it's the things that the people that people don't see what what you're doing. Um, you know, I fitness is a big part of our life, fitness and health, and so it's just keeping up these these things that allow us to have a fruitful and healthy and you know motivated lifestyle that supports all of the work work that we're doing i mean right now i'm technically working three jobs if if we're getting technical and so um Mm -hmm. it's but yeah i i think that that's the thing is just understanding you know i do have dreams and goals and desires and but i i'm in the phase where i'm i need to just put the work in and the rest will kind of work itself out you know (laughs) you don't yeah no that's great yeah Um, and that's, that's how I feel too, being like very young and early in all of this is, you know, the value of hard work and just letting it come to you. I had somebody once tell me that, and I thought that was really helpful that there's just a lot of people out there who are just trying to like, instead of just trying to actually do the work and Mm -hmm. try to work hard in their, and they're just going after everything. Like they want sponsorships or they want, um, you know, recognition or they want fill in the blank rather than just working really hard and right. being dedicated to what you do and then letting those things come to you so that you can actually focus on on what matters. And uh, I think that's that's really great advice. Um, you know, a mutual a mutual friend, um, Lacey Kelly, you know, I had had a discussion with her about some of the challenges and uh, some of the I guess, kind of obstacles that women in this outdoor industry face. And I was curious if you could speak to that too, um, just because there's just not a ton of representation. And then some of the representation um, just isn't authentic, like you had mentioned before. Could you speak some to that of what what challenges you've seen? Yeah, so this is, um, man, this is a dicey topic for me because it's something that I think when social media came around became kind of a stigma um, just with people you know, asking, well, should they, do they deserve this? Why are they, whatnot? And it's just like, it's some, it's a topic that I, I really have not gotten caught up in, if you will, because, mm-hmm. um, being a part of the outdoors is just it when I, I mean, it was just the way that I was raised. And so I never viewed it as, mm-hmm. as a, should this person be included or should they not, do they deserve to be here? Do they not? It was just the way of life that I was brought up in. Mm-hmm. And so when it became a thing, and I've heard, you know, the narrative that you're speaking of, it was just to me, like, I mean, why are we even having this conversation? Um, and so the way that I look at it is 
I, you know, I can only control what I can control. And so mm-hmm. as a female in the outdoor industry, if you would say that, um, mm-hmm. I mean, to me, it's just the way of life and the way that I was raised, but I invest my time and energy. And I do this not just when it comes to the industry, but, you know, just life in general. I'm going to invest my time and energy into what is important to me and mm-hmm. and to the things that I can control, which are my thoughts, my actions. And so I don't, this concept of, you know, women in the outdoors, to me, I think it's a, it's almost a limiting concept to say somebody who hasn't grown up the way that I have and has been super involved, mm-hmm. they might hear this. There might be a young woman who hears this and is all of a sudden like, oh, wow, like I'm, you know, I'm outnumbered or I don't belong. And so to me, I think mm-hmm. it's just a very, um, I, I don't know if this is right or politically correct, but I think it's just an irresponsible narrative. And mm-hmm. I mean, just speaking openly, um, I know plenty of, guides like Lacey Kelly and business owners and professionals in the industry that happen to be women and they are successful because they have worked hard and they haven't used something like a narrative as you know a something that would limit their capabilities or dictate the path that they take Mm -hmm. and to me that's what it is it's like I don't care like this external narrative and the conversation that people get in, all the negative stuff on social media. If you see something you don't like, you hit the unfollow button. You should only Mm -hmm. be surrounding yourself with positive influences, with things that lift you up, with things that, you know, help you become a better person or drive you forward. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I've seen, there's young women that I've seen. So I'm going to use another example. Um, The Gale Force Twins, they, I've met them and gotten to know them a little bit just through different industry events. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they're two young girls who are, have decided to pursue a career um, as fishing guides and their family didn't fish. I just watched, they were on uh, a TV show recently, their family didn't fish. And so they're the first ones in their family that are taking this on and they're doing offshore fishing. They're two young girls, like identical twins. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if they were to have listened to that as a narrative, like, and let that Mm -hmm. stop them, how unfair and how, you know, but they're just, they're like, this is what we want to do. We're going to work hard. We know that we don't expect things to get handed to us. And I think that's the mindset that we need to have as, you know, call it women in the industry or just women in general. Um, mm-hmm. You know, success is not gender specific. It's you versus you. And just cut all the other noise out is my perspective mm-hmm. on it. So I don't know if that's um, a good response no, or if that's something. Yeah. But I think that if 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 we as, you know, I think that women are more empowered now than ever before in history. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I was just raised in that way where I didn't look at it as as whether or not I was capable. I looked at it as I'm going to work hard and the results are going to follow. Like I don't expect anything mm-hmm. to be handed to me. And I think that there are, we know that there's people that no matter what, no matter if it's in the outdoors, no matter if you're, you know, in whatever industry, there's always going to be people who look, think, believe, um, love differently than we do, you know? And mm-hmm. some people just get so caught up in that storm that, and upset that somebody doesn't, you know, do that they're out there, you know, pro staff this or whatever. And it's like, unfollow, you know, do focus mm-hmm. on you and invest your time in making yourself a better person. And so that's where I stand on it. Yeah. And that, that does tie to the responsibility thing that you pulled back with, you know, we have a responsibility to try to uh, 
to help encourage people to try to tell a better narrative uh, for people who are maybe discouraged or feel, you know, not represented. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as as I have two daughters and one of my daughters is black (laughs) and there's just not a ton of representation, but she's really young and she has no clue, you know, because she just she goes out on the boat with us. She uh, turkey scouts and and goes squirrel hunting and walking around with me. And somewhere along the, the line, though, I do feel like a lot of people, whether it's because of their upbringing, their race, their gender, whatever it may be, feel outside the community. And I think it really hurts environmental efforts that we're doing mm-hmm. because, you know, all of a sudden now we want everyone to care about the resource, right. but they've, al- they've always felt pushed out of the uh, lifestyle. Could you speak, like, how do we try to be more welcoming, more inviting, or tell a better narrative to those who are looking at getting into the outdoor world or just don't feel represented? Yeah, well, first, I have to say this. um, What a blessing it is to, so I think to have a unique story and a unique perspective, like, from the start, your daughter is already, she's one of a, I mean, we're all one of a kind, but it's like, she's already so passionate about it, and she is you don't realize how much the things in your childhood affect the direction of your life. And it's like, as a young black woman, you know, she's going to grow into this young black woman who's very passionate about the outdoors. And she grew up, like you said, she's already obsessed with fishing and, you know, riding around on her four-wheeler and all of these things. And she's going to pave the way for people who right now might not see themselves in the industry because they don't see anyone that looks like them or, you know, thinks like them or whatnot. And so I think that's such a blessing that um, you're raising such a strong and independent girl who loves the outdoors because that's going to be her story that opens it up and makes it okay for, you know, Mm -hmm. who knows how many people. And so I think just being able to support her in that and just, I think it's a really beautiful thing. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't remember what the question was, but I just love that because I think, so for me, um, I am very like oh transparent about not being good at things and so in my mm-hmm. like when I write about things or just even on my uh, Instagram like that's just kind of the way that I've connected with so many people is all right like hey I tried this and I really sucked at it mm-hmm. and people will be like oh my gosh that's so ref- <laughs> yeah. I'm that's so refreshing like usually yeah, you know it's authentic yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know I've on my blog it's really been like an experience like a, a learning you know, what people like, what people don't like. But, you know, I was writing about, I got certified to scuba dive when I was 14 and then I never went. And so when I turned like 28 or whatever, I was like, I need to get recertified. And I wrote this experience about how scared I was of sharks. And like, you know, I grew Mm -hmm. up swimming and snorkeling in the Keys, but I was just, I I don't know. Sometimes maybe it's too much information, but I just think that, Mm -hmm. that when you are, transparent and just I mean tell your story and a lot of times it's like people are like wow I okay you're not you're not just like really good at something you're you're really bad at it and I so that means it's okay if I try because if I fail then Mm -hmm. you know it's okay what's the worst that's gonna happen so I think that that's a way that um and that's not everybody's thing I mean some people are just naturally really great at everything and that's what they're gonna talk about and you know that appeals to some people but for me that's just not my story and so I just think it's mm-hmm. being authentic and no matter what you're not going to be everybody's cup of tea and I you know I just I wish people would realize that everyone has a story and everyone it has their own unique thing about them 
And that if you just, I mean, you might think it's not interesting, but you'd be surprised if you put yourself out there and, and just share a little insight into, you know, what that experience was like for you. I mean, you'd be surprised mm -hmm. at the people that you connect with and you don't have to try to be transparent and say like, I sucked at this, but you can, whatever that experience was for you, I mean, share it. And uh, that's mm -hmm. the kind of people you're going to attract and you're going to make it okay for them to, um, you know, get involved in a way that's similar to you, I guess. <laughs> Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny that you were saying that because I was thinking about the episode of Daz Boat where they did the Captains for Clean Water deal. Yes. And one of the things that I really enjoyed about that show was I felt like it it wasn't about catching fish and they showed and I don't remember all the episodes, but there were a couple episodes where it just it wasn't like super, quote unquote, successful days. And right. They still aired it anyway, and I thought that that was really endearing that it was just on. It felt honest in the sense that sometimes you go out and the fish don't cooperate mm -hmm. and things don't go together, but you still get to be in these beautiful places and you still get to fish with these great people. Mm -hmm. And um, I agree with you. I think that just being authentic and being willing to be honest. Um, and there's some people who they hardly ever go out and have a bad day catching fish, but I do think that you know, just being able to show the real self is definitely something that is, is a pro across the board. Um, and that kind of brings me to my next rapid fire question is, um, you know, I know a lot of the people that you work with through Captains for Clean Water, and some of them are some real characters. I'd love to know <laughs> what's your favorite story, uh, work-related story, I guess, that you have <laughs> throughout the years. Oh my gosh. Here's one. Um, so, the guy, so Chris and Daniel, they're the co-founders of Captains for Clean Water. And I mean, they're both fishing guys. They're, they're like my people, you know, we, we all kind of mm -hmm. grew up, you know, native Floridians. We love to fish, we love to hunt. And that's one of the things that we've all really connected on. But another thing is food. We're all really big on, um, just eating good. And so there was one day mm -hmm. that it, um, Daniel decided to throw, he, he throws these random things on the calendar sometime. And you're like, what is that? I have no idea. And it was called ribeye rager. And we're like, what's the ribeye rager? And, and he's just like, oh, you'll see. He's like very secretive about it. Well, Daniel's really into like preparing, you know, these, like he buys like a hundred pounds of meat in bulk. And he has this fridge that's specially set up for like aging his own meat. And, um, and, uh, so we're, all wondering what this ribeye rager is he held a big cookout for the staff and mm -hmm. um and he called it the ribeye rager and so we show up and everybody brought a side dish and he he did it sous vide style which was the bet like sous vide and then finished it up on the grill and he had a captains for clean water brand so he branded the logo like into the meats and um it was they had aprons <laughs> made for it like chris whitman is very he's a closet iPad artist and he's very talented <laughs> at like doing illustrations on an iPad you would be very impressed but so they had he handcrafted this like cow with like a ribeye and it said ribeye rager and they had aprons made for all all of us <laughs> and so awesome. it was yeah it was just I mean we just are like a big family and um it was just really great and it's fun to do stuff like that to kind of you know we get so caught up in the day-to-day -day and what we're working on that it's nice to um, have those moments kind of in between to bring everybody together. So, mm -hmm. so my next question is who has been the most influential person in your life? And I should add outside of your parents, <sighs> who's been the most influential person in your life when it comes to the, the worker and wife and uh, leader that you are today, man, 
So, I mean, there's many different people coming to mind. Um, I mean, is my, should I, should I say someone different than my husband? (laughs) (laughs) So here's what I'm going to say about, about my husband. Um, So we, we met um, in 2015, really. And I had for a long time when I was working at the marketing agency had kind of gotten away from, you know, I mean, I still hunted and fished and things like that. But when we met, we kind of re he's from, he's a Florida native as well. He grew up on mm-hmm. Isles of Capri down near Marco. And so he's ate up with fishing. And, um, when we met, it was kind of like, that is what we connected on was the mutual love for the outdoors and fishing. And literally that's mm-hmm. all that we did was we went out and we fished for snook and redfish and tarpon. And, um, so he, and he taught me like that was his thing was it wasn't just, Hey, we're going to go fishing and I'm going to do all of this stuff. It was like, he took it upon mm-hmm. himself to teach me everything that he knew. And so mm-hmm. for me, I mean, I grew up doing those things, but you know, as a kid, it's like, you don't really know and you don't really appreciate it as much, but then, mm-hmm. you know, as you know, a 20 something year old, uh, I was like this, like we were just like the best of friends. And I just, I mean, I am that person. I thrive in the outdoors and to have my own knowledge and capabilities. It just, you know, it grew my confidence and it grew like my motivation to want to learn more. I mean, that's to me, the greatest thing about the, you know, just this lifestyle is the fact that you're never going to know it all and that there's always more to learn. And I'm just, I always crave that knowledge. And so I, just the fact that, I mean, we would sit on the couch when we were dating and like tie knots, like fishing knots, like Mm -hmm. he would teach me how to tie them. And I was just like, that was so influential in just building my confidence and just, you know, reigniting that flame within me, you know, coming out Mm -hmm. of, of that agency and into, into what I'm doing now. It was just, so I would say in that way, um, my husband, Mike has been super influential and just, mm-hmm. um, and teaching me, you know, he's teaching me to fly fish and, you know, every day is a new lesson. And so I can't say it's always easy cause they're, <laughs> you know, when you're the one on the bow learning to fly fish and you have that voice behind you, like do this, do that. It's like, sometimes mm-hmm. we butt heads, but it's, um, yeah, I would say, I would say my husband, Mike has been very influential in that. Uh, that's a great answer. Uh, we'll accept it. Uh, you mentioned that you like to read about old Florida and, and history. What What's your favorite old Florida book oh or, or Florida-based book? Okay, so because you asked me this, can I read you a very short excerpt of some of a book I'm reading right now? Yeah, that'd be okay. great. All right, well, first I'm gonna, my answer would be as somebody who is working on Everglades issues, that if somebody who, if you're from Florida, if you're, you know, Southwest Florida, if you're any, the swamp is by far the most comprehensive recounting of the history of the Everglades and why we are in the situation we are in today. And so it's a very informative, like it's kind of hard to read because it is so much facts and information. But if you are mm-hmm. at all like involved in, in the water issues or you sh- you should know about the history of the state. And it starts in the 1800s, um, you know, with the time when the Native Americans lived here and what happened with that through the development of Florida, um, through the hurricane and why we, you know, why we have the infrastructure we have with, you know, the Army Corps of Engineers, all of that. So highly recommend that. But mm-hmm. so there's I am obsessed with just um, just old Florida books in general. And I went and I for our wedding, actually, part of the decor was just like really old books, um, like 
their stained covers, like the old linen. I have this one in my hand. It's called Cross Creek and it's by Marjorie Kinnon Rawlings. I just started reading it actually, but it's a memoir of her time in Cross Creek, which is old Florida backcountry between uh, Ocala and Gainesville. And so I started reading this and I'm like, I'm just so enthralled by this type of writing. And so just talking about being passionate about the outdoors, I read this and it almost brought me to tears. And I know that sounds so cheesy, but I'm going to read it to you. And it's just like, you know, we sometimes we can't explain why we're so passionate about, you know, you go out on the water, you hear people say like, this is my church. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's a religious experience because you just have these unexplainable emotions. And so I read this and I was like, oh my gosh, she is like speaking to my soul. So here it goes. It's called Cross Creek, little tiny excerpt. It says, there is of course an affinity between people and places. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of waters called he seas, and God saw that it was good. This was before man. And if there be such a thing as racial memory, the consciousness of land and water must lie deeper in the core of us than any knowledge of our fellow beings. We were bred of earth before we were born of our mothers. Once born, we can live without mother or father or any other kin or any friend or any human love. We cannot live without the earth or apart from it. And something is shriveled in a man's heart when he turns away from it and concerns himself only with the affairs of men. Hmm. So, yeah, I read that and I was just like, oh, my gosh, like that's such a, uh, I don't know, artistic way of of explaining that bond. But Mm -hmm. so anyways, yeah, old Florida literature. I'm really big fan. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was just even trying to go full circle in my mind thinking about in order to be a great storyteller, you know, you got to read, you got to read stories oh, yeah. and you got to be willing to be committed to be a student of it. Yeah. My last question is, and I like to ask this sometimes, and I stole this from uh, Tim Ferriss, but if you could have anything on a billboard that everybody had to see, what, what would you put up there other than captains for clean water? <laughs> so because I am a listener of your podcast, Hunter, I knew this question was coming. Um, But something that I um, try to remind myself every day and I think is really easy for us to forget. So if I were to put something on a billboard, it would be a reminder to show up for your life. And I Hmm. think just for somebody that's so, you know, consumed with busy, like we always say, I'm still trying to figure out a more creative response than when somebody says, hey, how are you? And you just say busy, like what's more interesting? I don't know. But I'm, you know, we all get so consumed and just like putting our head down, working hard, doing the day to day that we forget to look at the, the blessings and the things around, like right now during this, right now being coronavirus quarantine, I can't tell you how much, um, more I'm like every single day I go out on my porch for my coffee in the morning. I love mornings, like noticing small things like the types of birds that are coming into my yard, um, you know, we planted this little flower garden. I go around with my water pail and I like water. It brings me so much happiness to do these little things. And the example that I could think of was um, my brother has two twin girls. They're two years old. And one day um, we were outside and they were like, you know, they're always like pointing at something in the sky and they're like, dad, airplane, airplane, dad, moon, dad, stars. And he was like, you know, he was like, he, in all the years, he was like, I don't remember the last time I looked at the sky until I had daughters. And he's like, and all they do is like, they pick up the smallest detail in the sky and they, you know, point it out. And he was like, it's really 
incredible. He's like, and it was a reminder to him and it hit me, you know, I was like, you're right. Like we just, we get so zoned in on what's ahead of us and where we need to be next and what the next vacation is. And we just forget, like stop and like look up at the airplane in the sky and you know, the things that bring wonder to kids. And, and so I would say show up for your life, you know, don't be, Mm -hmm. don't be passive. Don't just sit there and let, you know, the day happen. Like show up and make those interactions count with people and tell the people around you, you love them and work hard at whatever it is that you work at. And just, I don't know, be present, be excited, be happy. So that's what I would say. Yeah, that's great. You know, I, uh, I was having this actual conversation with, uh, JT Van Zandt. It wasn't on the podcast we did. It was just a off air conversation that him and I had. And, you know, I'm a Christian and there's a really great book that I read called crazy busy by a pastor named Kevin DeYoung. Uh, but one of the things that he said in the book that I thought was really good is he talked about how, um, like rush is the enemy of intimacy mm-hmm. and how, if you're always rushing and you're always just onto the next thing, next goal, next, that you, you don't have those moments where, um, you're really able to enjoy things and be introspective. And I think that would be a great billboard. And I, yeah. I tell people all the time, maybe one day, uh, I'll have enough money to goof off and actually make all these billboards <laughs> and people will have no clue what the context is. It'll just say the quote and the person and people have to figure it out. Yeah. But, um, that was, that was great. I enjoyed that. And it was fun to hear from somebody who is focused more on the storytelling side. And I appreciate you for coming on the podcast and sitting down with us. Yeah. Thank you so much, Hunter. I really enjoyed it. Thanks again for listening to the Captain's Collective. Please help us out by leaving a review on iTunes and sharing this podcast. We hope that you enjoy. This is the Captain's Collective.